Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Block Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Monergy Life. This is your host, Robert Fisher. I have the great pleasure of welcoming Helen Kramer to the show tonight. Helen is an emotional education expert, and I, for one, can't wait to hear more about what that really entails. Uh, She's a licensed New York State psychoanalyst and has been implementing a very interesting system for a more rapid form of emotional uh, change than psychoanalysts uh, normally uh, cultivate uh, in the personal change system, PCS for short. And I have to say that this topic is uh, very dear to my heart uh, because I have come to believe that um, emotional health translates into every other kind of health. And the source of a lot of people's problems are emotional. Now, here's Helen calling in. We're going to bring her on the air. Helen, is that you? Yes, it is. Welcome to Monergy Life. Good evening. Good evening to you and your listeners as well. I was just uh, introducing you to the listeners and telling everybody that uh, from my point of view, uh, emotional health is one of the most important things that we can cultivate, especially in these challenging times, because when people are not balanced emotionally, not only do they have the obvious stress uh, symptoms, but I really have come to believe, and I like your opinion on this, Helen, that I I believe that 99% of physical ailments have a really strong emotional basis to them. So that if one can cultivate emotional health, one can theoretically live a much healthier life physically. What's your take on that? Oh, absolutely. Um, We know that stress, um, if it doesn't cause illness, it certainly exacerbates it. And the kind of emotional reaction we have to situations can either be one of um, fulfillment, joy, confidence, or it can be one of uh, fear, um, depression, and all of those kinds of emotions cause stress, whereas the, the more positive ones are, the, are ones that are conducive for healing. 
Right. And, you know, what I see is the great challenge, and I'm sure you have your work cut out for you in terms of trying to encourage people to change their emotional response to life's events. But, you know, the way most people are conditioned to react is in a very defensive, ego-based mode, which cultivates an emotional reactivity, so to speak. And from my point of view, trying to uh, develop an emotional neutrality to the events in your life cultivates such peace of mind, such balance, and such overall feelings of well-being. Well, neutrality is the key. And let me let me give you a little history of how I went from doing psychotherapy to what I call brain rewiring and emotional education. Um, and what happened with me is that after my training as a psychotherapist and going into my own practice, I worked with people and I felt that everything that I had learned did not explain what I was seeing. Um, and in in traditional psychology and psychiatry, there's what I call the pathological model. There's neurosis, there's, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder, whatever. And I believed that everything that was happening was happening because of the the way a particular person's brain was working. But what I saw in um in everybody I worked with is that when they were stressed, that's when you would see what people might call ineffective behavior or childlike behavior. And I didn't know a lot about the brain at that point, but I hypothesized that the brain was misreading stress as danger, and it was sending us the signal into the part of the brain that's um, really reserved for life and death situations, fight, flight, or freeze. And for most of our time on the planet, man lived in mortal danger, so having a quick uh, fight, flight, or freeze response was what allowed our sub- species to survive, and all animals have that quick response. Um, so what I felt was happening in traditional psychotherapy was that when people saw that therapists would see this behavior, they knew it looked childlike, so they would spend a lot of time talking about childhood, when in reality what I developed was a system for teaching people when they have that melodramatic response, and that could be, you know, overly anxious, overly rigid. Some people use magical thinking, which is really a way of covering up a fear response, um, that I could teach them how to shift that signal from the fight, flight, or freeze part of the brain, which has no cognition, no memory, no ability to see consequences, no ability to plan, um, no ability to be neutral. So, um, and fortunately, I wrote a book about the work, and while I was writing the proposal for my book, uh, somebody sent me an article from the Wall Street Journal and a leading neurobiologist, Joseph Ledoux, had actually proven that the theory I had was correct. And what he said was that people needed a separate system for transforming that reflex 
And that was exactly what my work at that point was about, and that's what my book was about. So I started working on what I call brain rewiring um, in the in the late 80s and have, now that we have technology that allows us to live image the brain, we can actually see what's going on and where there may be glitches in somebody's brain that makes them have obsessive compulsive thoughts or depression or addiction uh-huh. and develop techniques for people to use here and now, in the moment, day, every day, to rewire their brain. Okay, now first off, I'd like to know what the name of your book was for the listeners. Okay. Uh, the, the name of my book is uh, Liberating the Adult Within. Okay, and brain rewiring, that sounds awfully ominous when you first hear it. Uh, to me, <laughs> it sounds almost like... Uh, doing some type of lobotomy, but it's not an actual... No, 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 no. It's, it's, you see, what, what, when I wrote my book, the, 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 the prevalent thinking was that the brain was fixed by age seven. Now, uh, I, I would recommend a book to you and your readers called The Brain That Changes Itself. Now we know what I was intuiting, that the brain can change in form and function forever. And by by the kind of work that I do with hooking people into their 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 body and their feelings and creating mantras and visualizations, we can actually change how our brain works. Give you a very simple example. If if they study the brain of a pianist, they can see the part of the brain that um is involved with controlling finger movement is bigger for that for the pianist. But if you spend a certain amount of time a day thinking about playing the piano and you never played the piano, that part of your brain would grow larger as well, which means that the thoughts that we have, the visualizations that we have, are actually creating new neurotransmitters, new neural pathways, and changing the shape of our brain. Well, you know, it could very well be. Uh, this is a hypothesis uh, that I've sort of been looking at over the last six months called the holographic theory of existence. I don't know if you're familiar with that. But, no, I'm uh, not. You're not. Basically, it's the concept that we create our own three-dimensional reality by our thought process. In other words, our physical reality, what we consider our reality, is 100% created by our thoughts. And this is very complementary to what you're suggesting. And, right. you know, I, I really believe that all the evidence uh, is pushing us in that direction, that our thoughts are projections for ourselves actually create our reality as well as changes in the neural functioning of the brain. Our thoughts and our feelings, and see the 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 interesting part for me is that the brain is is designed to conserve energy, and that means that it will repeat same old same old old patterns over and over again and what what I'm doing in my work is in in a way like morphing the brain slowly into new patterns because 
you know, when, when they when they talk about, let's say, somebody yo-yos when they lose weight. Well, what's actually happening in many people is that if somebody was 300 pounds for many years and they go down to 200 pounds, the brain thinks that they're starving and goes into survival mode and will actually put out chemicals that cause you to feel like you're going to die if you don't eat, that you're starving. So the brain is built for homeostasis, and that will go with changing any pattern. And so the techniques I use slowly move the brain into new patterns, and then I give people, as I say, I make tapes for them, I give them mantras, I give them visualizations to to start to establish these new neural pathways and these and to work with people without medication to produce their own dopamine and their own serotonin um so that they can they can have all the benefits of medication without the side effects right and, and know I, how to yeah go ahead mm-hmm. no I was just saying, and have and feel empowered because they know how to do it themselves absolutely and uh I think increasingly people are beginning to realize that meditation, yoga, chanting accesses a different part of one's being, which not only causes changes to the neural functioning of the brain, but opens up a whole new way of experiencing events, a non-reactive way, a neutral way, uh, a way that in effect, bypasses a lot of the unproductive conditioning that most people have growing up. Right. It's, it's all about conditioning. That's it's right. Not only, it's not only about if your family was dysfunctional, your whole culture is dysfunctional because everybody's coming from this fight, flight, or freeze part of the brain. Right. And not only that, besides the fact that, that most people are reactive emotionally to the events in their life, uh, most people also in, in a culture such as ours um, are doing things to um, to uplift the ego and to which is an artificial construct. So when you're operating from the ego and you constantly need to feed your ego, you're going to be taking actions. You're going to be having thoughts and feelings that are really self-destructive ultimately and will never bring you contentment and happiness because you're always going to be in this mode. The ego is never satisfied with what you have because no matter what you achieve, if you're ego-based, there's always somebody that's going to have more or has better achievement. So if you're constantly comparing yourself to other people, their achievements, the amount of money they have, et cetera, which our, our society cultivates with its celebrity worship, as you know. So if you're hooked into that way of thinking, until you get out of that mode also, you're never going to be able to be non-reactive to life's events. Right. And you see, I mean, again, this is so much conditioning because we're conditioned to feel that the only way we can be worthy, you know, slash lovable, is if we're rich or beautiful or, you know, whatever. All these things that create... (laughs) this this false ego and and actually a loss of self because it it pulls us out of ourselves it makes makes us incredibly judgmental of ourselves and others um it it moves us away from our true nature because recently what's 
been discovered is that we actually have neurons in our brain that are that make us empathic that we actually have parts of the brain that allow us to resonate with other people so that we can have the experience of getting them and being gotten. But when we have all this conditioning, those natural built-in ways of connecting are not being used so that we're losing the ability to be empathic with, with one another and to really get each other on a deep level. We have we have all the structures for doing that, but our conditioning is pulling us away from it. Well, not only that, but a lot of the messages that people receive on a daily basis from the media pull people away from that type of empathy. Uh, if anything, people have um, this very disconcerting attraction to other people's misfortunes, which is not empathy, if you know what I mean. No, no, it's a way of... It's a, I, it's a way of making yourself feel better because somebody right. else is feeling worse. Right. And but, the Germans have this and that, great again, word. That's what, uh, the sorry. Germans have this great word for that. I'm trying to uh, to access it. Um, it's called Schudenfreude, and it's just, it's a German word which means taking pleasure in other people's misfortunes, and and you know it, it's it's the reason that people are fascinated by train wrecks, metaphorically and actual because it somehow makes them feel, okay, I missed it this time, you know, and they can feel superior to the people that were in the wrecks. But it doesn't engender true empathy, that's for sure. Oh, no, because it's all based on on, judge, on judgment. Right. Who's better, who's worse. And, and, right. Right. And, and, then, and then not being able to connect to our own essence, being allowed to connect to our own essence and the essence of others. And it's it's very interesting because... There are a lot of people that believe that the heart has a brain, and actually the heart has more electrical energy and higher frequency than the brain in our in our in our head. Is that right? And yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, are you saying that the heart operates at a higher vibrational frequency? Yeah. And, and, you know, increasingly both scientists and, and, and other um, so-called experts are coming to the conclusion that everything is based on energy and vibration. Everything has a vibration. And, you know, I'm very aware of that because, as you know, Helen, I wrote a book about energy and I've been studying it for a while. And, uh, you know, even when you meet somebody or come into a restaurant at someone's house, people who are not even – aware of this stuff will say, hey, I like that person's vibe or I like the vibe of this place. Right. And they're, re- they're really picking up on the vibrational frequency of the place they're at or the person they're around. And I think when people are in a relationship and the relationship goes south, it's not anybody's fault. It's just people stop vibrating on the same level. Literally, they're not on the same wavelength. Literally, their vibration of their body, their minds, their hearts changes and they no longer are in sync and it's all due to the vibration of the other person well you know there's actually something called attractor neurons that were just recently discovered that are formed in our brains in childhood and unfortunately um, they are formed by our relationship with our parents 
and often so our brains are actually reading other people's brains that are like what we're used to and saying that's the person for me and um the the the, the problem that i see with people and i you know i have a workshop I'm, I'm doing next week on the art of creating positive relationships is mm-hmm. that people are not given the tools for dealing with differences, conflicts, um, how how to invite intimacy in your life, how do you communicate with, with another human being that invites a positive or an intimate response. And so along with the brain rewiring, I teach a lot of communication skills because I find that most people come together for for because there's a basis for loving one another and then when when nature plays a trick on us which it it, it gives us lots of endorphins and dopamine and all, all kinds of feel good chemicals so that we will fall in love and procreate and then those feel-good chemicals wane; um, they, they're short-lived, and then we don't have this—we don't have the tools to maintain intimacy without the chemicals. And so, most people had a very um, passionate falling in love stage, and they don't know how to um, go to the next stage where they're building on the communication, um, and they're not looking. They're not looking for affirmation. And, and, and most people didn't get enough affirmation early in life, and then our society seduces us into thinking we have the do-over in romantic love, and because of all the feel-good fe- uh, chemicals that we get in the beginning, we feel like we had that do-over, and then those chemicals leave, and we're back to not feeling good about ourselves. And not only don't we feel good about ourselves, but most people are conditioned to expect rejection, and then they look at things like differences as rejections, um, and without realizing it, they make it a self-fulfilling prophecy. Absolutely, because what you project becomes real. That's right. And your thoughts, and very often people have such a negative internal dialogue about themselves. And I think it's a a really worthy thing to even stand in front of the mirror and start talking to yourself in a loving way and in in an an affirmative way that you're worthwhile, that you're entitled to love, that you're worthy of love, that you're a great person, to counter all the negative chatter that goes on in the mind during the day. Yes, I I work with that with people a lot because um, most people have the constant negative self-talk and they're almost immune to it. And I'll say to somebody, you know, do you have a child in your life that, you know, a niece is, you know, or one of your own children, um, would you say that to that child and they're horrified? Would you say right. that those things to your best friend? But when they say it to themselves, they don't even recognize how how destructive it is. Oh, and absolutely. So I teach and people are often the most unkind to themselves. Right. And then they and, and and then they expect other people to treat them the same way. So they they misinterpret other people's behavior through that lens of of the of the criticism and rejection. Absolutely. Absolutely. So and I work you you work to try to uh reverse that negative internal dialogue, I'm sure. 
right. And, and be- yeah, and that's such a worthy thing to do because that is so disruptive for people. If you can't if you can't change that, you can't have a good relationship with anybody. Well, you know, it, it's sort of a trite thing to say, but until you learn how to love yourself, but really, really love yourself, and I'm not talking about in a self-indulgent, hedonistic way necessarily, but to really love who you are, your essence, your the fact that you're a human being on this planet, embodied in the physical form, which is only temporary, as we all know, until you come to that realization, it's really, really hard to love another human being. Well, or to feel, or to let them love you, even Absolutely. even though you're. And so I, I I work with my I work with my clients in a very intimate way, and I I let them internalize the support and the love and compassion that I give them, um, and then I use their friendships, um, to, because what's happened is. When we didn't get it as as children, we learned to keep out. We don't want the criticism. We don't want the rejection. We don't want being ignored. So we keep out. And then when we have people in our lives that treat us differently, we haven't developed what I call the receptive response. We don't know how to take in. So if I ask somebody if they have good friends and they'll say yes and I'll say, can you remember something nice that happened with you and a friend? And they'll say, yeah. And I'll say, how do you, how, how does that make you feel? And they'll say, good. And I know they're not in their body at all. They're thinking it's a good thing, but they haven't learned how to take in. So what I work with them is taking in from me and taking in from friends where you really feel a warmth in your chest. You feel an openness in your breathing. If you don't feel what's happening, it isn't affecting you. It isn't really right. happening. Right. Just a thought. And that won't change anything. Yeah. And, you know, when you said that, there's something that uh, I thought that I had. And, you know, what I find in terms of people's behavior, here again, I'm about to generalize. It doesn't apply to everybody. But you, you, I'm talking you, Helen, really have your work cut out for you because, and I think you'll agree with me with what I'm about to say, but I'm curious to know if you'll agree with me, so I'll spit it out is that today, good luck finding people who can honestly and sincerely show love and compassion to another human being. So people who are not accustomed to it, who you want to condition to get accustomed to feeling that thing in their chest, in their heart, it's a real challenge to find people who know how to even give that today. So it's doubly challenging. People have to undo the conditioning that tells them they're not entitled or not worthy enough to love, and they have to find a source of love that's pure enough to trigger the kind of feelings you're talking about. Right. Well, I I find that, um, you know, that when you're open to it, you find it. Very true. But but I think it's a harder thing to find today when people – in my, you know, from my point of view, people are very self-interested today in our society. And there are very few people, I think, who even know how to give love unconditionally without expectation of receiving something in return. Yeah, those people exist. I'm just saying that I don't think it's so easy to find, uh, even if you are open to it. Uh, well, I, you know, I work, I work 
and uh, and I tell my clients and when I do workshops and groups that that we need to be counterculture. That um, you know we need we need to um, relate with our heart values and and not with the conditioned values that um, are in no way um, allowing us to reach our full potential. Well, absolutely, and in fact. A lot of people believe that right now the consciousness of the world is changing from being centered in your head to being centered in your heart. And when you're centered in your heart, you are more open to, you know, genuine, authentic human experiences and human connection. So that's the shift that's going on all around the world, actually. There is a lot of evidence to that and that that will bring you to a higher level of consciousness when you are more centered in your heart, when you operate from the point of view what feels right as opposed to thinking about everything too much. So, you know, the process is to get out of your own way, to get out of your head, and to start feeling more. Right. Absolutely. Um, and, you and, know, and that is, that's definitely counter to this culture. That's for sure. Right, because this cu- culture is... is Constantly um, running on fear and judgment, fear and judgment, and everyone is uh, sur- surveyed and evaluated at every juncture to see how they're doing in comparison with other people. So it doesn't really permit that. You have to give yourself permission to operate more from the heart. That's the real challenge, I think, in what you're doing too. To give people the confidence and the security to feel to feel that they can operate from the standpoint of their heart. Now, we're, the, the time has flown, Helen. In the last 60 seconds, tell our listeners how they might get in contact with you. I know your website is listed on, on the episode. Um, is What's the best way to get in touch with you if they want to take one of your uh, workshops? Um, they, can, um, they can email me at helen at pcs. 100.com or okay. uh, another uh, R-E-A-L-S-O-L, it's short for Real Solutions, the number one at AOL.com. And Perfect. I'd be happy to um, answer any emails and open up a dialogue. Perfect. Well, listen, this half hour has just flown by for me. I'm totally fascinated by the subject. I can speak for an hour, but I want to thank you, Helen Kramer, for being on the show. She's an advocate of personal change system, and our listeners know how to get in touch with her. Helen, thank you so much for being on Monetary Life. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. And my pleasure as well. Good night, everybody. Good night, Helen. Good night. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.